Hello and welcome back to the Littlest Pet Cast. I am your host James, and today we are in for a special treat because before we end, we're going back to the beginning. That's right, we are looking at the first episode of the show once more. Now, a few things as to why I'm doing this. Uh, I think it's a nice way to look at how far both like this show has come and how far this podcast has come and you know seeing like where where it stood at the beginning and where it stands now and i think that this is a good like re-evaluation step that you know we we can do and we can have fun with this and also um you know a little bit of inside baseball for you i was planning on just going through the entire series again like doing doing all the episodes again but seeing as how long like this is taking going through it once i decided very much against that because i didn't i didn't really want to you know take up three more years on basically the same ideas so we're just we're just gonna focus on the first episode and i honestly think it's a good place to focus on because while there are like other episodes certainly better episodes like seeing seeing where we start out and then comparing it to where we're ending up is is a good it's a good point of comparison so um by the way the first uh time i did the first episode it clocked in at about 46 minutes which is around the average time of my episodes nowadays usually for even just like one one like part episodes and this is a two-part episode so expect a expect a super super long episode and this prolonged introduction certainly isn't going to help lower <laughs> so three three minutes in let's uh let's begin so we pan down on like a small suburban area with the aid of a voiceover narration from Blythe. Okay, this time around, this time around, I am going to be a little more open with, like, whatever. Because, like, when when I did all the episodes previously, I was basically trying not to spoil anything that uh came in in the future or that we did not know yet so i'm gonna be a little more open with this as well because like we only have one episode left and there are very few things that like 
I can't discuss so we're just gonna be we're just gonna be open so the voiceover narration from Blythe so the town is said to have a population of not a whole lot what that means uh, I'm unsure because like the city I live in has like less than a hundred thousand and I'd say like even that like there's still a lot but it's it's not it's not as much as like a big 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 city it's not I don't even live in the biggest city in the state I'm in but anyway so uh like and we just go through like this little suburban neighborhood where like people are like working on their garden like like birds are flying by people are mowing their lawn at the exact same time in the exact same pattern and last time i did mention that it was like kind of like the cat in the hat neighborhood but maybe this is just a general parody of suburbia and the cat in the hat is also a parody of suburbia it does seem like odd because like i don't know like it's just what i know is the thing so yeah so basically it's a nice little day where the sun is shining the birds are chirping and blythe is sketching under her favorite tree so we see her drawing a woman in a dress and then a squirrel comes down and points to it while it goes like chirp 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 i'm not gonna i'm i'm not gonna attempt that it is a it is a little late but whatever so blythe takes it as a compliment she thinks she says thanks i think and it is it it is weird that like i guess this might actually explain some things cuz like may, maybe hmm okay so last time i pointed out how it does seem weird that animals have a sense of fashion at all but like I mean, I guess most people might not know about it because they can't talk to animals. And when you have, like, a barrier as strong as that, you might not be able to understand a lot of intricacy to, like, what what they're thinking and stuff. It It is... Hmm... I guess that, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. But also, it's wild, because, like, because we can't actually talk to, like, animals in this world, we, we can't know for sure if they do or do not have a sense of fashion... Though the answer is probably that they don't, 
because I don't know. They're they're mostly naked all of the time. The ones that aren't are usually pets. Like we don't we don't see like wild animals like putting on you know stuff they fashioned out of leaves. It hmm. So I guess this universe I mean, this universe is just a little bit off from our universe. And, I mean, that makes sense because this is a cartoon. But it's also supposed to be somewhat based in reality. I think? Because, like, I don't know. Any of the oddities that appear in My Little Pony aren't... are never too odd because, like, we're we're already accepting a world full of talking ponies. Like, that... that's a lot. That is a high uh, suspension of disbelief we're, you know, taking... But in in the littlest pet shop, it's it is just a semblance of a real world, and like a lot of the more inane stuff. Like again, we're we're going back to stuff I mentioned the first time, like. I I where I when I said uh like this show is basically a combination of My Little Pony and Phineas and Ferb and Phineas and Ferb again they do live in essentially the real world but it's also over the top in like every way imaginable but it's supposed to be and it's like it it's weird for the sake of being weird it is like it is taking these extremes because those extremes are wonderfully hilarious and any any like attempt to explain Phineas and Ferb in a somewhat realistic sense is is missing the point entirely of Phineas and Ferb. Whereas this show, I think it wants us to take it a little more seriously than, like, your Phineas and Ferb. Even though it does some inane stuff. Let's let's just see how far oh, I am 11 minutes in. We are definitely definitely going over 46 minutes. But on the plus side, I haven't taken a break yet. And I want to keep it that way cuz I I mentioned I wanted to do like a like a one run podcast. This might be it. I'm I'm kind of feeling it tonight. So let's 
Let's continue. <laughs> okay, so yeah. My my overall point is this show's a little weird. And I think it's weirder than it thinks it is. Okay, I said I was going to continue, so let's continue. So she then finds a frisbee and a dog comes up to her and then like he high fives the frisbee when Blythe picks it up. And it seems to take Blythe more time than it should to understand that the dog wants the frisbee. Like, like, okay, I get, like, not knowing that animals have a sense of fashion. Or a sense of design, really, I guess. I mean, animals do have a sense of fashion, but... I guess, like, if you're just looking at a book, it could also just be, like, a sense of design. And, I don't know, maybe animals do have a sense of design in this world, and we just don't know about it because we can't talk to them. I am... Oh, boy, we we are... We're going we're going back and forth. But even even if you can't talk to the animals, you can probably infer that the dog would want the frisbee or whatever it like whatever you pick up like if it's a tennis ball or something so it's it's weird so she then wishes uh she could understand the animals like actually and you know what like like last time I am going to pocket that sentiment but overall Blythe thinks her life is perfect and then her dad pulls up to the park where she is and says he has good news and great news the good news is he got a promotion Blythe is excited and hugs him and the great news is that they're moving and Blythe freaks out and she gets hit in the head with the frisbee. So this is a rant I actually had planned. We're going to just reflect a little bit on the nature of the show a bit and talk more about its MLP inspiration where they have somewhat similar premises in MLP it's a big city pony going to a small town while in Littlest Pet Shop it's small town girl moves to the big city but it's the idea of moving or going somewhere reluctantly to kickstart things that we're going to pay attention to and it might just be a trick by Hasbro to subtly ensure that things go nicely in Project Lightning Strike Twice. Or to help ensure, I, I, I'll say, because like, like as, as big as MLP got, I don't know how big Littlest Pet Shop got in comparison like i know it has its fans but it's not it's not as ingrained and he, like 
Whether or not this was an intentional push from Hasbro to make the subtle comparison so that when you think MLP, you also think Littlest Pet Shop to kind of just like intertwine the fates of the two and hopefully the big success that was MLP could make a pretty big success out of Littlest Pet Shop too. And I don't know how successful Littlest Pet Shop was to uh to Hasbro and to everyone like around the project of the show. Uh and I don't even know if they wanted it to be as successful. I mean, having it be as successful is certainly, like, a good thing all around. But, like, I don't know if they they were gunning for it. Because that, that would have been a lofty goal. That, like, being as successful as MLP was is a lofty goal. Like, no matter when you're, like, making a show. So maybe they were setting a realistic goal, but as I was saying before I interrupted myself, which I tend to do during these episodes, whether or not it's intentional, the comparison still exists, and it might be a little bit intentional. Because, like, it, it's under the same roof of, like, Hasbro, Hub, slash Discovery Family, like, same animation, I guess? Same art style. A lot of, like, the same voice actors. Some of the same writers. Same music. It just... It really, like... Like, even without this, you do get the feeling that they did want lightning to strike twice. So maybe this was just another step in all of that. That's what I wanted to say. So, after the theme song, we see downtown city. The city Blythe and her dad Roger are moving to in all its splendor. So we see, like, a few different, like, residents like going about their day and something I just noticed when re-looking at this episode again is that the music that plays over this scene is an instrumental version of Crush from Blythe's Crush but that episode hadn't aired yet but I mean, that's that's a thing some shows do. Like, uh, the sequel? Yeah, I guess it is officially a sequel. The sequel series to Phineas and Ferb, Milo Murphy's Law, uh, did something similar. And, uh, and I know that because when there were only ten episodes out, uh, I watched it through, and then I watched it through again because I really liked it. And I noticed that, like, 
uh, one of the, like before the episode where that's revealed that Zach uh, was in a boy band. Uh, there are two references to that event prior. One where, one where like an astronaut was listening to uh, "Chop Away at My Heart," and another one where uh, Calamity Jackie refers to uh, Zach as boy band. So it. It is a little little clever, and I appreciate that. And I'm going to have to edit a lot of those pauses out. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, we go to their car, and Blythe tells us that Downtown City has a population of 2 million. Make that 2 million and 2. So she introduces us to her dad, who is a pilot, and then we get introduced to her. She's drawing... In the back seat of the car. And I want to point this out again. While we are here. I just. I need to do this. Because. At. In season four. At the beginning of season four. They confirm that Blythe is in high school. I still find it a little hard to believe that. She's always in high school throughout the course of this show. And this seems to be proof of that because Blythe is is not riding passenger. She might be too young to do that still. Like, I wasn't allowed to sit in the passenger seat for a while. And it was around, like, high school where I finally started being allowed to sit in the passenger side. And, yeah, like, the the, the other thing is, like, time does seem to, like, pass in this show. There is evidence of that happening, like, all around. Where, like... Uh, the Biscuit's mom is in the East Wing for an extended period of time. Or, uh, like, an episode later this season, uh, What's in the Batter says that Blythe's been in town for, like, six months. So, it is that. Like, again, MLP also has a movement of time. And it's not just, like, an unspecified, like, extended but, like, short encapsulation of time. Time seems to be a function in this universe rather than just, like... Like, like Courage the Cowardly Donk, for example, could take place just... With within, like, with within a year, like all of it could take place within a year, like because time time isn't necessarily a function of that show. We just know that something new happens. You know, when when it happens. Ugh. Time. 
like we we assume time is pulling forward, but there's no real indicator of such besides like previous events being referenced in something like courage whereas like in, in this show there seems to be more of like time moving forward thing i don't know it's it's really hard to explain what i mean but at the same time i feel like you would you know what i mean where yeah it it's really like time in tv shows is a confusing thing and my roommate and i have actually argued about this extensively when it when it comes to a different show but uh that's that's neither here nor there it is it is it it is what it is time is a tricky concept to nail down when discussing it when it comes to a fictional universe if they don't have it specified there we go there we go by the way, I just want to note that I am not disparaging Courage the Cowardly Dog by saying it doesn't have like like a solid indication of time. It's still a wonderful show and time doesn't really play an important factor into any reason why it's good. So that's that. Time is weird. That's That's all I had to say about that. Anyway, Roger asks Blythe how she feels uh, about the move, and he says he feels great. So Blythe says NSM, and Roger tries to figure this out. Blythe ends up explaining it as not so much. And, I don't know, this joke kind of, like, went away after a while. I know it was, like, big in some of the earlier episodes, and I know they did it with uh one of a kind giant eye portrait in uh paint a picture it lasts longer i don't remember it too much in some of the later seasons i could be wrong on this but i don't know i guess i guess they figured that the joke like didn't work after a certain point like, I, I never really felt these jokes, to be perfectly honest, because, like, no one really says NSM for not so much. There are, like, abbreviations and a- acronyms, acro- acronymisms are, are things people do regularly. And again, my roommate rolls his eyes every time I do one. But, like, I don't know. People people will say lol like that. And people will say, like, uh, you know, other, other stuff. But those are more, like, common where it's accepted that a general portion of the population will understand what that means when you say it. 
it's not like NSM where like even I wouldn't know what that meant upon first time. Oh boy, this is this is turning out to be quite the opposite. I'm only like less than thirty minutes in, and I ha I haven't even gotten to anything significant. <laughs> we are we are stuck in the first five or so minutes of the show because there's a lot to go over. So uh, Roger asks why Blythe is not feeling it. He says it's a good place in a good school district and Blythe says she wishes she had a say in it instead of it being sprung on her, which is a completely relatable feeling for any kid who's had to move it it is hard when like your parents decide to move and like you 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 wouldn't want to or cuz like a move is a big thing when you're a kid cuz like it it's it's a shake up it is a complete shake up of everything that you know and it is hard cuz like these are formative years where like you're still learning and then the suddenly the curriculum changes on you and now you don't know what you think you know and it's hard to cope as a kid so Roger explains that the decision came at him fast and he had to make a choice and like it it is hard because like obviously like getting a promotion and getting more money to help out you and your family is is ultimately good and you kind of weigh that with like some of the negative aspects like moving like even without like being kid moving is is a difficult thing but like when when you think about it like Roger has a kid and he wants what's best for her and like being able to give her the best is probably what motivated him to taking the promotion. Like if he didn't have Blythe. Or even if he didn't have a wife. If he was just a single man. He might. Want to take the promotion. But he'd do so more reluctantly. Whereas like. This. Like. Like it felt like the right thing to do for him. Right away. It is. Move, moving is weird it is a it is a thing so he suggests turning this whole thing into an adventure since she likes adventures so Blythe continues to draw as Roger gets out of map and cranks up the rock music so he swerves onto the sidewalk unknowingly and everyone on the sidewalk panics but neither Blythe nor Roger seem to notice but he doesn't hit anyone, though. 
And then someone yells, which catches Blythe's attention, and she tries to tell her dad what's up, and she uh, says, turn, and her dad is like, turn the volume up? Okay! And then he does, and then he rocks out some more. And then they go through the subway platform as Roger rocks. So they go down through the like platform and then up. And then once they leave, it goes up and they fly. And they land on one of those truck trucks. And the driver checks behind because they heard a loud noise behind them. But sees nothing. But since they landed on them, they wouldn't see it. And it's just on top. And then Roger's like, this is weird, and then pulls back into traffic off the truck truck. And then someone yells at him, and he says, it's okay, I'm a pilot, as if that makes it better. And Blythe is freaked out. So, here's something I noticed. They use a screen-wiped transition in, in this transition, because they aren't at the heart of the show yet and can't do, like, the popping pause because we're not we're not at the pets yet we there are other transitions where it's just like either fade in fade out or stuff like that like because we aren't at the pets yet we aren't at the heart of the show and that makes sense and it is a little wonderful thing so they pull up to the building and roger presents it blythe is surprised that they're moving into a pet shop Roger says he hadn't noticed that part of the building before. So they get out of the car and, and like the moving people are there with like a lot of the heavier stuff. Like they have a small little uh, trailer for some of this stuff. And uh, stuff, but like mostly like it's in this like big U-Haul thing or... I think in this universe it's called a you move it because they can't use U-Haul because it's a it's a it's a name it's a brand name. So Roger instructs the moving people that their apartment is on uh, the top floor, and Blythe gets caught up in the moving people. So once some of them pass by, the Biscuit Twins appear out of nowhere. And Blythe says she's startled, and they say, yeah, that happens to a lot of people. So they look at Blythe's sketchbook and that Blythe is holding and see that it says Blythe Style. They ask if that's her name. Blythe says it's actually Blythe Baxter. She asks who they are, and they introduce themselves as Whitney and Brittany Biscuit twins. The Biscuits ask if she's moving into this building. She says yes, and the Biscuits say that this building is lame and stuff. So why are they here? Wait, no, I remember. They have weird teleporting powers that they can't control. Ha! <laughs> be, be, getting, getting back into season one means getting back into accusing people of being mutants. I don't know why that kind of like stopped i guess it's because it's due to the lack of like characters that like introducing characters that like do extraordinary things and just like 
maybe introducing characters that do fun or other things. It's weird. Anyway, so they look Blythe over and ask if those are her clothes. She says, yes. Yes, they are. Maybe an allusion to Phineas and Ferb. Maybe not. I like it either way. And the twins say that her clothes are lame, that she needs new ones, and that they will allow her to shop with them. <laughs> Which, <laughs> uh, like, you can tell right away. Like, I was, like, before jumping back into this, I was like, why did the Biscuits turn on Blythe right away? Or why did Blythe turn on the Biscuits right away? Like, what what really started the conflict? Because I didn't remember the initial meeting being this hostile. But it is. It very much is. So, she says, I have to do anything else. But then says, uh, like, she has to go unpack. So, no thanks. And she goes into her apartment, but the Biscuits use their teleporting powers to get into the apartment to corner Blythe. Right. Yeah. They sometimes can control it, sometimes they can't. And they confront her as she's trying to get away, saying that this is the first time someone has said no to them, and that they do not like it. So, meanwhile, Roger acts like a goof in front of the animals and embarrasses Blythe. And the Biscuits tell Blythe to tell Roger that the pet shop isn't going to be there much longer. So Blythe drags off her dad, and her dad says goodbye to the animals. And afterwards, Mrs. Trombley peers through the blinds to ominous music. And as far as I've gotten, and as much as I can say, I have not gotten far enough to discuss this quite yet. There is something else in the final episode that uh you know makes this bare mention of but we're not we're not there yet and this episode's already long i cannot imagine how long the final episode of this podcast is going to be so anyway so roger when okay we get up to their apartment and Roger says that this is their new crib. And Blythe points out that nobody says crib anymore. Unless you mean like an actual crib. Roger noticed that Blythe was talking to some girls earlier and asks if she's making new friends. Blythe says no and says that those girls were kind of nasty. Roger says that's a shame. And then Blythe says I guess every town has them. Roger asks twins. Blythe says mean girls. Roger says he's glad Blythe isn't one. Blythe asks twin. Blythe says mean girl. And Blythe says me too. And takes some of her stuff to her room. I just really like this scene. Because it establishes like... Because like... The only other scenes we've seen of Blythe and her dad so far... Are like the usual... uh, You know... Cheer and hug when like something good happens. And like... Roger trying to cheer Blythe up about Blythe being disappointed about the move, but like a, a little scene like this that just shows the normal dynamic between, uh, you know, Blythe and Roger. It's so good, 
and I love it. I love it all the same. So, in her new room, Blythe is trying to get used to things and tries taking her dad's advice to think of it like an adventure because she loves adventures. And if she keeps saying it, it might be true. She then spots her guitar and thinks, why say it when you can sing it? So she begins playing and singing about her new room and she gets stopped when she feels like her room could use some air. So, to pause for a little moment, as if we haven't been pausing enough, this is an aspect of Blythe that rarely gets brought up again. Like, the only other time I think we've seen Blythe play guitar is, uh, The Secret Recipe. And, like, to its credit, it's used really, really well, but, like... I, I really wish we got to see a little more of Blythe playing the guitar. Not only because it adds, like, a little bit to her character, but Josh Sharp, her love interest throughout the show, also plays the guitar, and that might make for a fun com- conversation. So, she tries prying open what she thinks is a window, and when she doesn't work, she says she'll get her axe to open it, And uses the guitar as, you know, a lever or like a crowbar to pry pry it open. But uh, it opens, breaking her guitar, only to reveal that it's a dumbwaiter. And last time I made a big deal about how Blythe should have known it wasn't a window due to its placement. But upon, like, re-watching this... It sort of makes sense. So my theory was that the window is in an odd place and that like it was just on a wall facing in a like like on a wall and not like a place where a window would be. But uh it I thought the wall was a little there was a further section of building, like, beyond it. Wait, no, there kind of is. Because if the... Hold on. If, if the... Uh, hold on. Okay, let, let's, let's review. If the dumbwaiter is on the... Let's, for the sake of argument, the leftmost portion of Blythe's room... But the rightmost portion of the Littlest Pet Shop play area, there is more building in that direction. So I was I was right, and it is weird. I take back everything I've said in my notes. It is weird, and it's even weirder because we see a different window. Why didn't she try opening that one? But I digress. I I am claiming victory again. I thought I thought I was hanging my head in defeat, but no, 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 no. There has to be more built because, like, the littlest pet shop is confined to the building. It it it's not an extension of the building. <laughs> ha! I'm right. I am right. Take that, me writing notes who thought I was wrong and had to admit it. But whatever. Like, it gets the action rolling. 
So Blythe says that there's music calling to her, and something new to me is that there actually is. It's kind of quiet, and I had only listened to it when I was like watching episodes off the TV back when it was on Netflix, so I didn't necessarily hear it now that I'm watching it like with headphones and not Netflix. I actually heard it. <laughs> so, and what's even more is it sounds like the song we're about to hear. I thought it was just like the sound of adventure in her heart, but there is actual music and I love it. And I love it even more that it's the song we're about to hear. So, uh, Blythe, uh, pulls up the dumbwaiter and climbs in. Blythe begins, like, pulling herself down and is bothered by the amount of dust in there. Then along came a spider, which freaks her out so much that she lets go of the rope, and she has enough time to do the Looney Tunes stare before she drops down. So she falls through the dumbwaiter out on the floor at the bottom of the building. There's a lot of dust... And she hears voices worried about her and wondering what's going on. The voices eventually tell someone named Russell to go check on her, and he does. Russell appears to Blythe and says she's fine. Blythe is freaked out about the porcupine. Russell says that he's a hedgehog and that everyone makes that mistake. Minka then checks on her by jumping on her head and says she's okay. And then Blythe reveals to them that she can understand the pets, which intrigues them. So they confirm it and are impressed. And they ask for her name. So Blythe, because she's still shocked, answers Blythe. And the pets say, hi, Blythe. And then Zoe comes up and says that they know her name, but she doesn't know theirs. So they're going to sing it with a little song called Let Me Introduce You to Everyone. But according to Wikipedia, the song is actually called The Littlest Pet Shop Pets, but tomato, tomato. So then we get the song. And I honestly got to say, this is still, this is still one of the best songs in the entire series. It is great head to toe. Like, I mean, it is it is one of the longer songs, so I guess they had a little more, like, opportunity to make it good. But here, here's something else. So they press play on a music player, like a little boombox, and, like, the song starts playing. Well, the instrumental portion of the song starts playing. So... That means they might have been rehearsing their own lyrics to it, as I suggested last time. And last time I also suggested it seemed weird that they would do this for humans. But this time I remembered that, you know, a lot of other pets come here occasionally. So maybe it was for them and they decided to abandon it, uh, you know, after after what happens next... But I still like it. So just let's let's get into get into it like a, a little more deeper. 
it is a wonderfully upbeat song and it has a glimpse of what everyone's character is succinctly it is very catchy it has some nice little tangents that don't distract from the song like my tangents which kind of distract from the podcast or the episode rather and uh the it plays to like a lot of the dumb played moments really well although penny ling's ribbon dancing is another thing that was sort of phased out Whereas the rest of the pets thing sort of weren't. Maybe Sunil and Magic, but that's kind of it. Even then, it's not as faced out as Ribbon Dancing with Penny Ling. So, like, I like I like this song. I I like all the little funny moments from it. Where, like, Sunil fails his magic, or Russell says that, uh... You know, they need to hurry it up. Or, you know, Vinny crashes into Penny. Or the lyric, he's not very bright, but he's one of us. And Vinny's like, what? It, it It's so good. This is just such a good song. Anyway. So once the song ends, Blythe freaks out and tries to run, but is stopped by the shop's owner, Mrs. Trombley. She introduces herself and says she didn't see you come in. And uh, this store is her own little slice of paradise. Blythe tries telling her that the animals were just singing, but Mrs. Chombly laughs it off. Blythe continues in saying that she and the pets could converse. And Mrs. Chombly says that the pets speak to her too, but all they seem to say to her is, Feed me, Mrs. Chombly, and stuff like that. Mrs. Chombly continues and says that some strange things happen in this store. Which, oh boy, we, we've seen things. Blythe hears a noise and wonders if it's purring, and she runs out screaming. Mrs. Trombley says that she has to get that noisy air conditioner fixed. Which, with what's about to happen, she probably should. Well, what she thinks is about to happen, rather. I mean, any which way you need to fix the air conditioner... But I like I get, I'm not gonna be coy about it. She's planning on selling the store. We know this. Like at this point, she's planning on selling the store. That should be like something you should fix, unless you're selling it as a fixer upper, which mm, maybe. So Blythe continues running in town, screaming until she sees a guy walking a dog. So she stops, looks at the dog, is a little nervous, and then the dog says, "I like you. You crazy." And Blythe runs off again. So, a car pulls up, and who walks out but Aunt Christy? And, of course, she's on the phone. She enters Littlest Pet Shop, and Mrs. Twombly welcomes her while the pets watch. Christy continues her phone conversation and starts a different phone conversation and then hangs up on both of them to talk to Mrs. Twombly. Uh, so... Christy says that she noticed that this place is going out of business and wonders if the space will be available soon because she wants to open up a sweet shop and she always loved this part of town. Maybe because her niece lives here in the area? Maybe. But the important thing for right now is that the pets are horrified. 
Mrs. Trombley is not sure when she'll put it up for sale. She doesn't like making decisions on odd-numbered days and even-numbered months. Christy gives her her business card and says to contact her once uh, something comes up. She notices Mrs. Trombley is down, and Christy assures her that she'll take good care of the place. Christy gets another phone call, takes it, and leaves. The pets are dismal about Littlest Pet Shop's closing. Vinny says that they just need one person who can understand them to help them. Russell tells Vinny to calm down. Penny suggests Blythe three different times to no avail, and everyone thinks she's interrupting. Then Russell suggests Blythe, and everyone loves it. Penny rolls her eyes and says, told you so. Even as far back as here, we know Penny isn't really just a pushover. Which, I mean, I guess upon thinking about it now a little more, like, I guess, like, last episode, or, well, Seeing Red, rather, like, it's about, like, Penny knows she's not just a pushover, but it seems like everyone else didn't know that, which everyone else should know that by now. It... (sighs) It's still weird. So, the next day, Blythe wakes up to someone waking her up, and she thinks it's her dad and tells him about this crazy dream she had about a talking porcupine. Russell corrects her again, and Blythe freaks out once more. She then quickly apologizes for calling him a porcupine again, and Russell says it's fine. Blythe notices that the other pets are here and making a mess of her room. She wonders how they got up here, and Vinny says it was that moving box thingy. Pepper says... It's a dumbwaiter, and Vinny says, What'd you call me? Russell pleads with Blythe to help save Littlest Pet Shop. Blythe wonders what she can do. Meanwhile, Zoe's paging through Blythe's design book and finds a style she particularly likes. She rips it out uh, and makes it look like she's wearing it. Blythe sees this and is upset, but admits it does look good on her. Pepper then lets out a scent, and it's a bad scent, and she says it's because she's nervous being up here. So Roger comes, knocks on the door, and talks to Blythe, asking if she's up, and saying she doesn't want to be late for school. She assures him that she's up, and then mushes the pets to the dumbwaiter. Roger smells the stench and wonders if Blythe is okay. Pepper tries to answer, but Blythe shushes her and says that she's fine. Blythe tells them to go, but Russell asks again. He tells her if the shop closes, they'll have to go to largest ever pet shop. A big, cold pet shop where they can't hang out, the snacks have no flavor, and the squeakers do not squeak. Blythe asks why? Why her? And Russell says that she's the obvious choice. She lives above the shop. She seems nice enough, and she's the only one who can talk to the animals. Penny pleads with them, and they all make puppy dog eyes, and Blythe agrees. Russell says that uh, she has to do it by tomorrow, and Blythe is so shocked that she drops the dumbwaiter, thus ending part one. And, like, without editing further, I am at 55 minutes. I am well over the 46 it took me to do both parts the first time around so let's uh, let's keep it going so part two begins 
Blythe and Roger are heading for the car. Roger tells Blythe to hurry up because if he's late, they'll leave without him, which is bad because he's the captain. That's a nice little joke. So Blythe comes down and sees the pets cheering for her, and she tries to get them to knock it off. She gets in the car and Roger wonders what that noise is. Blythe sees the pets cheering her even more, and... She forces Roger to go on, causing him to drive wildly once again. And the same guy from before chastises Roger, and Roger this time is nervous. So uh, they go to they're, they're at the school, and Blythe is still unsure of everything, but continues to think of this as an adventure. Roger reminds her she loves adventures, and Blythe says she loves him and gives him a kiss on the cheek. She gets out and walks in, and Roger pulls out. And the limo pulls in, and the window rolls down to reveal the biscuits, glaring at her. Their dad reminds them to not get expelled today. They say they'll try. And as the limo pulls away, it is revealed that his license plate says, Largest Ever. Uh, It's just E-V-R. It is... I don't know. I don't remember how they shortened Largest if they did, but... It is just EVR forever. And it is outlined with like a little plate outline that says uh, largest ever on the top and we're a big deal at the bottom. So at the pet shop, Russell asks for ideas on how Blythe can save Littlest Pet Shop. So he suggests a benefit concert with lots of stars like her and she starts singing. Pepper thinks a comedy show would work better and she'll be the headliner. She tells... The joke, why did the rubber chicken cross the road, to stretch its legs. Vinny suggests a dance-a-thon and starts dancing before he trips. Sunil says that maybe she can make Mrs. Tombley's problems disappear, and he tries some magic only for it to fail again. Russell asks if he can get some input sometime without everyone showing off. And then they start showing off again, and Russell is annoyed, and Minka dumps some paint on him, which is amusing. So at school, Blythe can't open her locker. Jasper comes up and asks if she needs help. Blythe accepts. He says he has the same locker last year, and Blythe gives him the combination. He introduces himself and uh, his uh, friends who followed him also introduce themselves as Sue and Youngmi. They ask if she's new, and Blythe says she's new in town, new to school. Jasper gets the door open after pulling on it hard. They ask where she lives, and Blythe says it's on Oak Street. And here's something. Uh, the door to Blythe's apartment, at least in the first part, I don't know about the rest of the show, but in the first part of this episode, the door actually has like a street number on it. So we know that Blythe lives on 72 Oak Street in downtown city probably New York probably anyway I don't know the area code though and I guess that's fine so Blythe says that she lives above this crazy pet shop and Jasper knows that as the littlest pet shop and says he loves it Blythe says too bad you didn't love it enough because it's going under they remember and say that ever since the largest ever pet shop moved in They've eaten up a lot of business. So, this is something I want to talk about. 
According to the treasure of Henrietta Twombly, the biscuits have been in the downtown city area for a long time because the Biscuit Brothers wanted to get the treasure. Although maybe they didn't have a branch open here or they moved away and then moved back. I mean, if we were to take that episode as it wants us to, Blythe and the pet's ancestors also lived there as well. So maybe maybe there's like a mystic force that draws everyone into this area. I don't know. That episode... I don't get that episode. The... Treasure of Henrietta Twombly still still dumps me to this day as to what it wants us to believe out of it. It it is just odd. So uh, the kids continue and say that like another bad thing about largest ever pet shop is that it's owned by. Fisher Biscuit, the father of the unofficially official mean girls of this school, Whitney and Brittany uh, Biscuit. So they start mocking the twins, and Blythe joins in, and then they all laugh, and Sue invites Blythe to sit at their table, which she accepts. So at lunch, Young Me points out everything wrong with the fish sandwich. Not enough pepper, too much sauce, and a soggy bun. Jasper thinks it's funny because it's true and asks Blythe to comment, but Blythe was spaced out. She said she went back to thinking about LPS, and she said she promised Russell she'd save it, but doesn't know how. They ask who Russell is, and Blythe nervously answers, short guy, spiky hair, definitely not a porcupine, which I love it. So the biscuits come up to Blythe and pick up her book of designs, saying that since she's carrying it around with her, she must want people to see it. So they take a look and don't seem to like any of it. So they, they say as much, but despite this, they give her one more chance and offer her the opportunity to sit with them. Blythe rejects, and the Biscuits get furious. They tell her to stand down when it comes to LPS as well, and throw her book in the air, making some of the loose paper fly about. Jasper says that it's officially official and that they are mean. Blythe sees uh, one of her uh, pictures or drawings, uh, and then she imagines Zoe's head on it, a different one from before, mind you, and says that those mean girls gave her an idea. So... Let's let's talk for a moment here. I guess I've given up trying to make this a short one. So it does seem like the biscuits have a weird obsession with Blythe. Even in this episode, they offer to be friends with her twice and the relationship only gets complicated as the series goes on. Like in general, I think the Biscuits actually kind of like Blythe, but don't know how to express it without being mean and turning Blythe mean. They, they're interested in Blythe, but they can't express it well. 
And they still want to be seen as elites because that's kind of cool, or at least they think it is. Or at the very least, it gets them attention. And it's also just the biscuits are oblivious as to how people function. So overall, I think the biscuits are incredibly interesting characters, like through and through. I don't always agree with them. In fact, rarely do I ever. But it is interesting to see them. So, anyway. In an imagined sequence, the pets uh, are running through a field of flowers. And they go into Littlest Pet Shop. However... Mrs. Trombley laughs and traps the pets and it's revealed that this is actually the largest ever pet shop and that Mrs. Trombley is actually the Biscuit Twins and the pets freak out about their collective imaginative experience. So Blythe walks into the pet shop and talks with Mrs. Trombley. The pets look and wonder what they're saying and Zoe says she can hear the mailman from three blocks away. So she uses her ear to tune in on the conversation, which is a nice little uh, gag. So Blythe tells Mrs. Tomley that she has a surefire way of saving her shop. And then Zoe says she's sure to set fire to the shop. And then Zoe's like, wait, that can't be right. So then uh, she does the conversation in real time where Blythe explains that uh, her idea is to design pet fashion and put on a fashion show so that people will come and it will revitalize interest in LPS. Mrs. Tomley gives the green light and the pets celebrate coming out and, you know, tackling Blythe in celebration. And Mrs. Tomley remarks that it sounds like the pets know what had transpired. Or rather, and she says it sarcastically. She doesn't, she doesn't say it like, like she knows. She says it like, it It's almost as if they know. Okay. So, again, I've got something to say. So, during, during this conversation, Blythe says she's never thought about designing pet fashion before, but later on, she is hesitant to design for humans. But I guess part of it is that she found success in pet fashion... And is really hesitant to risk it all for something bigger, I guess. But eventually does, in some instances. It It is a little bit odd. But I guess she wasn't professionally designing for humans. She was, like, designing for humans for fun. And that it's her passion. But then... Her passion for fashion plus the desperation of the pets led her to this conclusion, which seems seemed to have worked it out for everyone so far. Also, you really got to give it to Nicole Oliver for, like, do, doing the scene as Blythe and Mrs. Twombly, but in her own voice for an extended period of time and making it sound pretty good. It really is good. Respect voice actors. I have 
said this on the show before, and I will say it again till the end of time. You gotta respect voice actors. It is not an easy profession, and when people do it well, you gotta respect it. So then a montage happens where the pets are in Blythe's room and they're setting up uh, designs and practicing their walks and also Blythe is chatting with Roger for a bit. And then uh, Vinny trips, which makes Russell ball up and, you know, ping pong back and forth, which, uh, like, lets Vinny, like, roll on, like, spin roll him into the other pets. And then they all laugh. So then then they go and put uh, posters all around town marketing this fashion show to... Helen back, basically. And they even go so far as to plaster, like, several posters on Largest Ever Pet Shop. Now, the pets are with Blythe, and they know where Largest Ever Pet Shop is. Like, if it was just Blythe, like, Blythe could have just been passing by this building and not know what it was, but... Because the pets are with her and they know what this is because they are scared of it. They they went anyway and just went into the belly of the beast. And as the beasts go, the twins are impressed with this idea and decide to ruin it for Blythe. And at this point in the show, the paw pop transitions are now here. And it's great because we are finally at the heart of everything. Oh, uh, boy. So the fashion show is about to begin and Mrs. Trombley is impressed with the crowd. She goes to tell Blythe the news and says she must have used an impressive stock. Blythe tells her that it's a 100-pound gloss paper, which is less thick than most paper stock, but still thick enough to draw a crowd. And Mrs. Trombley is like, oh, cool. So Jasper, Sue, and Young Me come in and congratulate her on the idea, but ask where she's going to get the money for him. Blythe asks what money, and they show her the posters, and the poster now says, come get free money. In fact, a lot of them do. She says she has no idea how this happened. She wonders who did this and thinks it's just mean. She then realizes who done did that. So, the crowd is gathered, and someone says he has no doubt the fashion show will be good, but he's mostly here for the free money. So, the Biscuits, dressed as cats, mind you, congratulate themselves on a job well done for vandalizing Blythe's posters. (laughs) So, Brittany asks why they're dressed as cats, and Whitney explains that they need to be in disguise, (laughs) which, uh, uh, you know, as... Nasty as the Biscuit Twins are, they are also a tour de force in not understanding anything. (laughs) So, Brittany then asks why they have buckets with pudding and kitty litter, and Whitney explains that their plan is to sneak up to the rafters and then dump it on Blythe at the apex of the fashion show, thus ruining it and embarrassing Blythe. Brittany says, right, that's a good plan. They see someone coming and pretend they're cats. So the person is walking a dog and the dog sniffs at them and growls at them. And I think the reason uh, the owner 
isn't doing anything about this is because she lives in a big city and is probably used to seeing stuff like that. So the crowd at the fashion show is chanting money, money, money. Mrs. Swambley says she only has a buck 73 and says that they're going to need a lot more than that. Blythe says she'll go out there and explain the misunderstanding. And Mrs. Trombley says, no, she'll do it, which is another great thing. So she goes out and then Blythe says that this is the last thing she needed and she's already nervous. Jasper, Sue, and young me cheer her up and Blythe thanks them and says that she thought she was going to have to rely on the pets to talk her down. And then they ask about that and Blythe says that when she says talk, she means like in their little animal language. And then demonstrates, which Jasper responds, I think the pressure is getting to her. Blythe pushes them out of the way to get ready. So the crowd is still chanting, money, money. And Mrs. Trombley explains that there is no free money and people start leaving. But Mrs. Trombley continues and introduces the pet fashion show, showing off the designs sold exclusively at Littlest Pet Shop. Blythe gets the pets ready to get out there, and Russell tells them to take their places. Blythe says, break a leg, and Sunil's like, why would she want us to break a leg? So, the fashion show begins, and everyone is impressed with the style, and decides to come back. So, Penny is wearing a nice Chinese dress, which, I mean, it's a little... I mean, she she is actually Chinese. And a panda, I guess. Pandas are Chinese. Boy, that's that's a weird sentence. But it's not it's not appropriation because it is her culture. But in Shanghai hijinks, she's a little divorced from it, but also a little connected. It is it's odd. So Minka is wearing the style of a Parisian artist and Pepper looks like a clown and gets someone with her uh, squirting flower. Meanwhile, the Biscuits begin their plan and sneak up. So Vinny and Sunil are up next and Sunil's in a little raincoat and Vinny is dressed like Michael Jackson, which was always a little weird, but a little more so now with that documentary. I mean, M- Michael Jackson is always going to be like a mixed bag of emotions because like a lot of people like his music myself included like i like michael jackson's music i don't like what else he did it is not good that he did that but i mean i guess people are complicated and like Hmm. This this is a this is a weird stop. Cause like you can you can still like something a person did without liking them, or you can like a person without liking something they did. It's weird. I this is this is really hard to explain, and I'm not an expert in anything. Of that. And like I completely understand the totally justifiable reasons why someone would 
not like Michael Jackson at all. But it he does have good music. Like I'll I'll say that much. Like like there are there are bad people who do good things. And there are good people who do bad things. Like I'm going to say Michael Jackson is a little more on the bad side. I mean, he even says it himself. But I'm t- Oh boy. Oh, but that's a that's a little awkward. But the point is Michael Jackson's complicated. So, anyway, some Sunil's umbrella traps him accidentally and Russell face palms as uh they back off. And then he notices uh some of the stuff from the biscuits buckets fall off and he goes to investigate. Finally, it is Zoe's time to shine, and Zoe is wearing a dog version of the Blythe design she modeled at the end of part one, and I think she even poses herself in the same way as the drawing at the beginning, too, which is a nice touch. So, Mrs. Tomley says that Blythe and her fashions are a hit, and that she should go take a bow, and Blythe agrees to do just that. So, Russell makes it up there to see the biscuits, and Brittany is bored, but Winnie says they need to wait for the right time. Blythe and the pets gather, and the twins think to do it now, but Russell is determined to stop them. He rolls up into a ball and spin dashes over there to startle the biscuits, which startles them so much that they fall off, but Russell grabs the buckets and prevents them from, like, falling to get them hurt and they uh shriek that he's a porcupine and russell says he's a hedgehog so the two stop in midair and are relieved that they didn't get hurt and everyone looks at them awkwardly and then russell lets go of the buckets and they fall on the twins and everyone laughs as they run off while some dogs go chasing after them so now littlest pet shop is booming and mrs trombley congratulates blythe on saving Littlest Pet Shop. However, Mrs. Trombley has a problem. In order for her to keep things up, she needs to hire Blythe on, which she accepts. She turns to the pets and says, Did you hear that? Looks like you're going to be seeing a lot more of me. And uh, Russell says that uh, they're glad she came here. And Vinny says it was anyone else. They might not fit in the dumbwaiter. And, okay, I did put this off meaning to speak about it earlier, but I got way too distracted by a lot of things. So now is a good time. It's just really, I'm just reiterating the point that this episode provides two reasons why Blythe uh, could talk to the animals. One, she wished for it. And two, she fell and hit her head in the dumbwaiter. But neither of those things turn out to be true in the end. I, it just seems odd that they would do that. It is, it is a little, a little weird. So Blythe says that she's glad she fit and glad that her dad found this place. But mostly she's glad she met everyone here. So they go for a hug and Pepper emits a smell, but it's a good smell. Someone asks if Blythe is talking to her pets, 
And Blythe says that, yes. Yes, she was. <laughs> Another... I like that running gag in Phineas and Ferb. And asks if they do as well. He says he does, and he baby talks to a dog, and the dog turns to the camera and says he's fed up with the baby talk since he's 27, which I guess is proof positive that animals in this universe age at the rate of humans unless specified otherwise, like with the tortoise, because, I mean, they live longer. So, Blythe does a voiceover to wrap everything up, and Roger comes back and wonders if he missed something. Overall, revisiting this episode is just... It was something else. It opened my eyes to a lot of things, while at the same time reminding me of what made this good in the first place. It is a good hook. It is a good, like, hook, and, you know, the show continues to generally reel you in. Like, with with varying results. It's not... It's not perfect, but it's still, it's still overall a pretty good show. However... There are a few more things that still need to be discussed. So, first, let's start with the fact that there's another episode that begins with the words Blythe's Big, and that's Blythe's Big Idea. Now, at first, it seems like they aren't really all that connected, but I have thought it through, and there's a little bit of a connection. So, Blythe's Big Adventure is a turning point in Blythe's life, where she's introduced uh, to the Littlest Pet Shop, uh, her animal talking abilities, and leading her to create pet fashion. Blythe's big idea is her taking the next step by entering a fashion expo and proving how serious she is by purchasing a kiosk with uh, her scooter. And it just shows how far she's coming along. I imagine that early on in development, episodes that push Blythe further like that were all going to begin with Blythe's big, but they decided against it because the follow-up noun, well, kind of dried up and maybe they felt it was too limiting or, you know, a number of reasons. But speaking of limits, let's, let's talk about how this show got canceled a little bit because it did we're 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 not gonna pretend it didn't so after coming back to this episode i can see the broader scope of what they were trying to do even within this episode because like i don't know they had they had a lot of ideas and they were really going for it and uh there are things that either subtly or obviously implied that uh, they they wanted to make something like grand in gesture, maybe not grand in scope, not like not like as big as MLP is in terms of like scale. Because MLP like they fight like world-ending disaster after world-ending disaster. But, like, in, in this show, it felt, it feels like 
different but similar. And like with MLP, Hasbro told them to use the kid gloves for a while. And like even even this episode like compared to MLP, like let's let's compare where this episode is compared to where MLP was at the time. So, like, this episode aired at the same time as Season 3 of My Little Pony began. Now, Season 3 is where, like, it started breaking out of its, like, shell. Like, as much as I like Seasons 1 and 2 of the show, of My Little Pony, it is, uh, you know, still your bog-standard kids show for, like, the first two seasons. Like, it's still good. It's just... It's not as good as the hype suggested it is. Like, it really only gets to that point at about season... Well, season three might be the start of it, but, like, really, it it goes up from there. And, like, season three had, like, uh, stuff like Magic Duel, Sleepless in Ponyville, Wonderbolts Academy, Keep Calm and Flutter On, and Magical Mystery Cure... Episodes like that that show that they were starting to break out and, like, you know, were able to do the stuff that they wanted to do all along. And when, uh, you know, Little's Pet Shop tried to do the same thing at the beginning of season, well, sort of in season three, but more so in season four, the show was axed. Now, you might be wondering why deal with Hasbro in the first place. Why not make up a totally unrelated show about a girl who can talk to pets? But here is the thing. Creativity is weird. The ideas the creators uh, wanted to put into this show might not have even been a blip on the radar until they were offered this chance to do so. Then stuff came flowing out and creativity is something that might need to be tapped from time to time. I mean, just look at fan fiction. A lot of those stories could be written with their own original characters, but it's the existing universes that lets uh, authors' imaginations run wild. And even this episode, like, proves that to some extent. Like, it took Blythe Zoe modeling one of her designs on the sheet and the Biscuit Twins flipping her notebook for an idea on how to save Lilith's pet shop. So creativity is like like a function that like needs to be tapped. It it it's not creative people aren't always like thinking of new ideas every like minute of every day. Sometimes it ne- it needs to strike there's there's that like the the fact of the matter is that like while they had this idea they were still limited by Hasbro to like possibly stand them atop the shoulders of the giant that is MLP and it might not have gotten as tall but i still think it could have like been like, really good if it was allowed to continue, which it wasn't. 
And, you know, looking back at this episode, like, you you can see, like, glimpses of everything, well, of a lot of things they wanted to do. Some of the stuff, like, came on later, for sure, but, like, it seemed like they had a plan from the start and were just willing to play Hasbro's game until, uh, you know... Hasbro let them let loose like they did with MLP. But we we all know how that went. But still, the show overall is is really good. And I think we should appreciate what we have of it and the ideas that spring from it. And on that note, I'm going to call this episode of The Littlest Petcast. Be sure to leave your comments and reviews on Shout Engine, on Apple Podcast, on the Google Play Store, and wherever else RSS feeds. Go when inspiration strikes them. And be sure to tune in for the final regular episode of The Littlest Petcast, Littlest Pet Street. I will see you then.